Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper, a series of interviews with financial consultants and industry experts helping financial advisors strategize, market, and grow their business using core fitness values and analogies. Do something today that your future self will thank you for with Get Advisor Fit. Here's your host, Olivia Looper. Hey guys, welcome back to Get Advisor Fit, where we encourage you to lift heavy, invest often, and market your ass off. Today, we're privileged to have a podcasting guru in our midst, Jeremy Shear. Jeremy is the founder and CEO of Conversa, a content agency that uses the power of conversation to help brands create original and authentic content that gets their audience to know, like, and trust them. So what exactly has me so jazzed to talk to Jeremy today? Well, for starters, he has a PhD in English literature and Jewish studies. And if you guys don't know, I have my MA in English Lit, so obviously I was super interested in talking to Jeremy. But also from a marketing perspective, I have the utmost respect for him as an entrepreneur. In 2019, Jeremy took the bold leap from the world of corporate copywriting, using his talents and vision to build a successful podcasting business. Despite the challenges, Jeremy's proven that if you believe in the value of what you're offering, good things happen. So today, we're going to delve into how brands can create authentic and original content that doesn't suck. Jeremy, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I actually I wanted to have you on because I learned a lot about you from our first-gen entrepreneur community. But then when I was starting to write the intro for this, I learned a lot more about you and I was diving into some of your content on LinkedIn, which definitely doesn't suck. So I'm really excited that you're here to share your perspective with us all. But before we dive into the marketing stuff, I have to know selfish reasons. Yeah. What was your thesis on and what is your favorite book of all time? (laughs) Okay. Oh man. What was my thesis on? You know, in many ways, writing the dissertation was such a painful process that I've kind of submerged it in my, you know, down in my memory, but I'll, I can dredge it up. Um, in a nutshell, <laughs> it was kind of a literary history of how and why the category of what is known as Jewish American writing was invented. Because like all categories of writing, it was invented at some point right? It doesn't just magically appear. And it, it's, it, it struck me as odd that such a thing even exists. Because if you think of a writer like, I don't know, one of the most famous is like Philip Roth, is a name that if you know anything about 20th century American literature post-war, post-World War II, you've, you've maybe at least heard of Philip Roth, even if you haven't you know, read any of his books. He's quite famous. And he is well known as like a Jewish American writer. But what does that mean? Yes, he's he was a Jew, no doubt about it. But he wrote in English, not a Jewish language. He wrote about Jews often, like many of his characters were Jewish. But he didn't only write about that. Right. And and he all and and he just wrote about what he knew, you know, growing up in Newark, New Jersey. But also, he never referred to himself as a Jewish American writer, and in fact what? rejected that label because he didn't want to be pigeonholed as some kind of ethnic writer. Who would want to, right? So he just saw himself as an American novelist writing in English, in American English, 
And so, and yet, he is always included in anthologies of Jewish American writing. And there's, you know, academic disciplines where people study this. So I'm like, how did that happen and why? So that was that my so dissertation. I, it's so funny that you say that because I feel like it's really related to what I was studying when I did my master's degree, which, you know, there's this whole, so I studied um, American modernism and postmodernism, but there's this whole debate about what is actually a difference. Is there like a cutoff date? Like, you know, there are these uh, tropes or whatever that are, you know, more apparent in modernism versus postmodernism, but really what is the definition? And I was hellbent and determined when I started my master's degree that I was going to come up with the answer once and for all. And that proved to be incredibly difficult. So I didn't end up writing about that. I did a um, exam option instead. Mm. So I studied all the books um, that my thesis chair and I had decided on that I was going to study for this massive undertaking, right? Um, I can't remember who it was, but I mean, there was this guy, I feel like his name was Benjamin something or another, and he had like two volumes of like 500 to 1,000 page um, books on just this topic. And I don't know why I thought in my my two years as a, you know, MA student that I was going to come up with my own version of this. But anyway, hey. so it's interesting that he said that because I'm always um, wondering why do these categories exist and who defines yeah. them and how do we you know, who gets to decide that this is what it is. So I think that's really fascinating, but yeah. Um, and then you so, asked, what's my favorite book? Yeah. Your favorite book. Oh my God. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little lame here and say, I, you know, I do not have just one favorite. Like it depends on the category. It depends on the type, you know? So for example, a couple years ago, I just got super into this series. Um, it's kind of a, like fictionalized history or his historical fiction, I guess you'd call it, about Genghis Khan and the Mongols. Oh, okay. It's like a five book series. It's not like high literature or anything. It's written for, you know, just like a, a lay, like mass readership. But man, it was so fun to read and like so interesting. And so that's not even one book, that's a whole series. But every now and again, I go back and reread them. So that's definitely got to be near the top of my list. Um, I read, I also like biography, right? So at some point I remember I read a biography of like Julius Caesar, you know, one of the most famous people ever to live. But I realized like, I don't really know that much about him. I probably, it would probably be good to know a little bit more. So I don't even remember who the author was, but it stuck with me like, wow, what a fascinating life. And just again, one of the most impactful people in all of human history. So that was cool. Um, you know, in terms of just straight up fiction, I mean, I have my favorite authors. Like I've pretty much read everything Philip Roth has ever written, partly because of my PhD, but also even, you know, before that and since I just enjoy reading Philip Roth. Um, and okay, I can probably what name I many others. One Philip Roth book does everybody have to read? Ah, okay. Whew, boy, that's a tough one too. I would go with there's, it's so hard to pick, but maybe Operation Shylock. I'll throw that out there. It's I won't even try to describe what it's about because it's just so crazy. But and like it's it takes place in Israel and it's all over the place and it's just super fascinating. And you know he's Philip Roth is like a serious novelist, 
but he's a really fun writer to read. He's hilarious. He's like a stand-up comedian. Wow. Well, that means that this is going to be added to cart like as soon as we're getting off of this. Yeah. I'm a serial reader. I have like five things going at once, usually like a business, a literature, something fun, you know, whatever strikes my mood, self-help, who knows? I need, I need multiple things going at one time. So I'm going to check. I hear you. Um, so, okay, let's get into the marketing because I know that's what our listeners are here for. They want to know what we have to say about marketing. So why in your, why is it uh, a common opinion that most B2B content sucks? And we are definitely going to need a qualifier for suck because that's a very subjective word. So first, can you tell us <laughs> what it means for content to suck and why most B2B content does? So I want to qualify this statement a little bit. I think that's something, the, the, the claim that most B2B content sucks is, I think, a common claim that you'll find on places like LinkedIn. Now, is it true? It really depends. You know, I think it's it's a highly subjective claim. But I think it, it's interesting to me that that is a common claim. And I think a lot of what's driving it, I think there are a few things that drive it. Okay, so one, and this is the more kind of cynical take, is that you have to look at who's making the claim, right? So if, it's, if that claim is being made by someone who, say, runs a marketing agency, well, then that's part of their marketing, right? It's right. to get you to, to, to get a little anxious about like, oh, really? Does our content suck? You know, maybe we, it could be better and all that. So I think partly you have to take it with a grain of salt that that's marketing, right? But I think it's not only marketing. I think it's also driven by the, uh, the perception that there's a ton of content out there and that, you know, how often is it that you're scrolling through LinkedIn or just on someone's website and you're kind of stopped in your tracks by like, whoa, what, a, what an incredible blog post. What an yeah. amazing video that I must watch right now and like can't look away from. That's a pretty rare, you know, that, that's a pretty uh, rare thing, right? And I think it's the idea, it's not that, that most B2B content is absolute total garbage. I think it's more that a lot of it is just kind of bland. A lot of it just kind of blends in. You know, it's like you feel like you're reading the same thing over and over. You know, it gets hard to cut through the noise. I think that's kind of what it's really referring to. Right. And I feel like I have been having these same feelings a lot lately as a marketing agency. I look up marketing stuff a lot. So what kind of ads do I get in my social feeds? marketing ads and they're the worst kind because the mm. claims are so outlandish and crazy and it's like oh my god guys come on like let's get real right and i and i think often like the reason the claims can be so outlandish is that there's this pressure to like well we have to cut through somehow we can't just say the same thing that every single one of our competitors is saying which is often the case, right? And I don't exclude me. Like I look at my website and competitors, I'm like, damn, we're all kind of saying variations on the same thing. And so there is this pressure to like amp it up, you know, but that's not good. I don't think that results in what we would consider to be really good content because you can see at a glance, like, well, this is just bullshit, you know, or 
or or the second you start doing it, everyone else starts doing it too. You know, it's too blatantly like a marketing claim that you're like, well, how the hell could you actually know that? You're right. just saying it, you know? And so, but I think we also have to be careful in recognizing there's different types of content. So you can't just lump it all together, really. So really, the claim that B2B marketing content is sucks, that's too broad of a claim, obviously, right? There's, there's a product marketing. That's its own category, right? Which I know much less about. I'm much more familiar with what we would call probably like thought leadership type content, right? And, but, you know, but there's also different kinds of that. There's stuff that's meant more for the top of the funnel. There's stuff that's more meant for the middle and the bottom, right? Like then you're talking more about like case studies, right? Right. Um, And so, you know, you do have to break it down. But I just think that there's this general perception based on at least some kernels of truth, if not more than a few kernels, that in aggregate, a lot of this stuff just kind of seems to be very similar. It's this sea of sameness that's hard to break out of. And I think we've all experienced that, right? Especially when you're leading, when you're reading, you know, some piece of thought leadership, like a blog or, you know, a video featuring some, you know, whatever. You're like, this is not blowing me away. This is not blowing my hair back. I feel like I've heard a lot of this before. I'll kind of skim it to see if there's anything new and then move on. You know, it doesn't seem, and so it seems a little generic a little bland, a little just kind of, I'm not going to remember this because it's too similar to pretty much everything else I've seen. I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And then I think one of the dangers too, that we, we don't realize. And I think that this is not to say that what we're agreeing on now is, is wrong, but I think one of the dangers is that we keep seeing the same thing over and over again. So we assume that our audience is seeing the same things that we are. So I am very, you know, heavily inundated by this marketing stuff all the time. And my niche is financial advisors. So financial advisor marketing stuff. But I have to remember too, that my target audience, financial advisors, they aren't seeing all the same marketing stuff in their feed necessarily that I am. So sometimes I think, Oh, that's not worth repeating, but that's because I see it all the time. They might not see it all the time. So there's like, we get stuck in this world of our feed, um, you know, based that's aggregated and and delivered to us based on our other things in our search. And I think that it can keep um, some of us from sharing things that we feel like, oh, well, this is common knowledge. Everybody must be seeing this because I see this all the time. And so, you know, I think that the sameness, this, this rote repetition, it's true. It does happen. And then it's, it's numbing us to the fact that, you know, there might be good information in there to share. Um, but then on the second note, make sure that we're doing it in a way that doesn't suck <laughs> or doesn't feel like <laughs> everything else we're reading. So my next question then would be what can business owners do yeah. um, to create better content? Yeah. So as just a little bit of a runway into that, I just want to acknowledge what you just said, because I think you uh-huh. did make an important point in, in that, yes, you can, if you're a marketer and you're paying very close attention to this stuff pretty much all day, every day, then sure, you, your 
what you see as sucking might be skewed by that. And also, I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, if you're doing a really good job as a B2B marketer, you are catering to a very specific audience, right? And so it depends. If you're not the intended audience for a piece of content or, you know, content in aggregate, then you may not just have the frame of reference to really properly judge it in terms of its suctitude, you know, or how good it is, right? Like, although there it's it's usually more that it's just not relevant to you. So it's not that it's like, this is boring or it sucked. It's more just, well, I don't even know what this is. I don't look at it. You know, it's not like you would spend 10 minutes trying to figure out some piece of content that has absolutely no relevance to your life or work, right? So, but there is this matter of the audience as well. And so I think the only proper way to really judge how your content is doing is to ask your audience what they think about it in some way that they can somehow objectively tell you, like without fear of offending you, you know, but like okay, so some kind of audit. Okay, yeah, let's give me some ideas. Right. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here, but like, you know, like um, talking to your customers, like reaching out to prospects or customers and being and, and even maybe, you know, doing some kind of um, survey type thing with like Google Forms where you can say, I don't need your name. I just need, you know, here's some content. I just want you to rate it from like one to five, one being the best, five being, you know, however you do that. And just like, you could do that, right? Yeah, Send totally. that out and get, you know, with, and you'd have to do it with proper questions. Like how relevant is this messaging to you? How engaging do you find this? I mean, you, I've never actually done that, but I'm, hearing myself say it and I'm like, prob I probably should. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea, actually. You yeah. Know? Or even like um, if you, I was thinking about, for example, I would have been talking to a client, potential client in Israel, right? And she was like, oh, hey, I want to check out your podcast and all this stuff. And like maybe as part of her onboarding process, even like I just include a section that's like, you know, um, was there, I don't know, anything in particular you know, that you, that made, why did you pick us? What was, you know, the something to that effect, you know, yeah. like, I want to know, like, Hey, once you ch checked out the podcast, were you like, Oh yeah, she knows what she's talking about. I want to go with her yeah. or, you know, or was it, you know, uh, you saw the things that I put on LinkedIn, you particularly liked the engagement and what was happening there. You know, there are ways that we can frame it. And I know, um, like one of my financial advisor clients recently did a survey of their current clients. It was more on frequency and topics, like which of these topics do you want to hear more about in the newsletter? Yeah. Do you do you like the frequency of what we're sending? Do you like the communication style? It was less like rating the content, but still those tangentially related questions can also be helpful. I think. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I that sounds totally doable for just about anyone who wants to get some feedback on their marketing, right? So so anyway, I just wanted to recognize that you had made an important point there. Now your question, your next question was, okay, so what can we what what can you do about it? Yeah. So of course there is no one answer to this, right? And I'll offer my opinion and try to explain some of my reasoning behind it. So again, I think what what often causes content, the production of content that's, let's say, not as strong as it could be, is it's a couple factors. One, I think, is time. So, you know, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of B2B marketers. 
And I always ask them, you know, what's your biggest challenge when it comes to producing content? And the most frequent uh, response I get is lack of time, you know, and, and these are B2B marketers. So it is literally their job to do this. But even so, just the demands, how much content they're trying to put out there, the demands on their time make it so that it's really hard to spend too much time on any one thing that you're doing. And so you end up instituting these systems and processes and templates and so on that allow you to produce content at scale, which is which you have to do, and that's great. However, the more of it you're trying to do, there's a kind of flattening process, I think, where it all kind of starts to sound a little bit the same because you have the same people creating it, right? And it's you, you just it becomes more like we just need to get this shit out. Right. And you can't really spend as much time as ideally you might like to, you know, perfect it and polish it and really make it different and unique. Right. I think the only, and I, I think there, there's no, just no getting around that. The more time you spend on a piece of content and, and the more thought you put into it, unless you're just really bad at doing it, but right, assuming that you know what you're doing, right, chances are the better it's going to be. Right. It's like any piece of writing. The more drafts you do, the more revisions, the more polished it's going to be at the end. Right. And the fewer you do, the less polished it's going to be and the more kind of general and generic. Now, of course, we have chat GPT and generative AI, which I think will contribute to this. Right. The whole the whole kind of miracle of that technology is that, well, we're going to save you time here. Right. Or you can save massive amounts of time by just having ChatGPT do it essentially, and then kind of tweaking it and adding in your own flair or whatever you want to call it. We will see what happens with all that. In my limited experience with it so far, I mean, we've all had somewhat limited experience. It's only been around for like, what, six months now or something. But in my limited experience, there is value there. But I think when it comes to, if your goal is to create the highest value content. And by highest value, I specifically mean content that comes across as authentic, as original, as uniquely you. Now, all those terms we can investigate for to, you know, for exactly what they mean. But in other words, content that stands out because it really represents you, right? It re represents Olivia and all that you stand for and like your unique thing that you bring to the table and why people want to work with you, right? Ideally, you want your content to kind of be an avatar for that, right? To channel that so that when people read or watch or listen, they're getting that same vibe or as close to it as they can from when they're interacting with you, right? That's kind of the ideal as I understand it. And again, I think that's very hard to achieve because either in-house, you just don't have the resources or time to really achieve that. Or you say, okay, we don't have the time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to farm it out to an agency, to a freelancer. And then there is a lot of variables at play. Some agencies and freelancers are better than others. But even so, I think one of the, when you do that, typically you're kind of allowing that, okay, well, this isn't going to be coming directly from me. It's going to be coming from a third party that sure has taken the time to talk with me. And like, you know, they're not just randomly making shit up, 
but they're not me. And so it's going to be more generic than it otherwise would have been. It's going to be a little flatter than it otherwise would have been if I had the time and all the skills to like carefully craft everything, you know, what I put out there. Right. But it's, it's, it's a, it's a solution that a lot of people do. Um, now this is all run up to what I actually think is the best way, but I'll pause for a second, just in case you have any follow-up questions so far. I just have follow-up comments. Okay. A couple things on that. The first one being that I can completely confirm everything that you're saying, even though I have, oh, let's talk about the, the content that I create for my business, right? Um, some of it I write myself, some of it I don't. Some of it I have other people create from my content that already exists, but even managing other people to help you create the content is a time commitment. And yeah. So you have to think about that too. So yes, it ultimately can truncate the time that it's going to take me overall, but you also, you need to think about, okay, what is the management time going to be involved in outsourcing this? Um, and am I going to get a good return, a good enough return? Are the mer relative merits of outsourcing going to be greater than if I did it myself? Meaning... Is it going to be all right to put out or is it going to suck? Because if it's going to suck, you might as well just keep doing it yourself, right? Because the relative merit is not high enough to do it. Yeah. Um, but if it is close enough, and now let's transition a little bit as I talk about this to the way that we as an agency deliver content to clients. And I like to say, uh, if I can get it 70 or 80% of the way there, and then I get it to you, and you can put, you know, we can make edits based on any information that you want to add, subtract. You can add your own little flair if you want. If you don't have time, we will just put it out the way it is, whatever, you know. And um, now how do we get to know you? We, I mean, we do the best that we can. <laughs> it's funny because uh, I recently for new clients started um, sending bio questionnaires to everybody on the team because a big part of our marketing is, we want to personalize it as much as we can. We want to showcase the different members of the team, which includes photos and background information that doesn't necessarily have to do with financial planning, just who they are. They have dogs, kids, where they go on vacation, what they like to eat, you know, some the stuff that people like to consume to get a feel for who the members on your team are. And my husband said, I would hate you if I worked for this firm and my firm hired you and you were making me fill this out. I feel like it's a psych evaluation. And I was like, well, I don't know what you want from me. I'm just trying to understand these people <laughs> so I can write, you know, our team can create good content for them. But okay, so even though, even if I give you a psych evaluation, though, there is always going to be a little bit of a disconnect because I'm not you. I haven't internalized these experiences. Reading about them is not the same as living them. And of course, the way that I process things is not the way that you process things. So when we are both told to draw a picture of a blue house with green trees, they're going to look completely different when we put them next yeah. to each other. So, I mean, that's just par for the course, but I think like you have to find a, a provider that whose relative merits outweigh. So if you're getting someone that is just giving you shit content, then you probably need to keep looking because there are millions of people out there who can help you. Yeah, in, indeed. Um, and so I've, I've just been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of years, really. And I think I came to kind of like a realization. And this is derived directly from what I do. You know, I'm a podcast guy. 
And so I've spent, you know, I built this company uh, to help B2B brands start podcasts, right? And at the core of it is, is this idea that the best content, and, and this is kind of what I've come to realize, and I, and I, I would b- maybe say this is sort of my like, grounding philosophy of how I approach all this. I have come to believe that the very best content is derived from unscripted conversation. What we're doing right now. Yeah. Because for a few reasons. One, you and I could have we could we could have a conversation on this same topic five different times, and each conversation would be very different. This you is have so- the same conversation with another person on the same topic, it's gonna be way different, right? No two com- no two live real-time conversations are ever really the same. And that's because each individual human being is unique, right? We share, there's a lot we share in common, but we're unique enough that we really just have our own distinct personalities and ways of talking and expressing ourselves and so on. And so I think when you're able to create content pretty much by capturing this kind of conversation, there's a kind of magic to it. That, that it's really hard to replicate when you're sitting down and say, writing a piece, right? Or when you've planned out a video and you're sort of, you know, and it's scripted because then it's kind of top down. You're planning out what it's going to be and then you make it right here. We just have kind of a broad framework and now we're just going for it. And so as I'm talking, I'm not like carefully weighing every word. We're just talking and the stuff I'm saying is as I'm saying it, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm figuring things out. I'm kind of thinking out loud. That lends this content, right? A kind of, uh, there's an element of surprise, maybe. There's, an yeah. el- there's, there's definitely an element of personality and tone and, and rhythms that kind of speed up and slow down. It makes it so much more interesting, I believe, than content that is really much more like worked over and planned out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I just, you know, even our conversations that we've had in the group, our first gen community, uh, first gen entrepreneurs group or on LinkedIn. I mean, there's so much more dynamism here. Like when we're having our conversation that I feel it's only been 35 minutes, but I feel so much more, depth from this conversation than anything that we've had just typed out. And it also reminds me of this conversation I had the other day with Jacob, the email guy in our group. Mm -hmm. And we ended up talking, I mean, we were just supposed to chat for like 20 or 30 minutes. And then it ended up like being over an hour. And I was very apologetic, like, oh man, sorry. He's like, no, I'm figuring it out. Like it helps me have these conversations because I'm processing it too. And, you know, I, this is why I also, And I'm sure that you find this too with your clients. Um, I always tell them, you know, when you, when you invest in making a podcast or doing a podcast, you have this just treasure trove of content that you can pull from. And there are just like you said, magical conversations that can erupt and that you can capture later for shorter pieces of content that you can share out. And, you know, that's something that you can't necessarily capture when someone else is is producing your content for you. 
Right. You, I think there's no way to do that. Yes. Although, yeah. well, actually, actually, so this kind of brings me to like my next point in that, okay. in that, again, like our model for how we've been serving our clients has been, okay, we're going to help you start a podcast. And there's kind of multiple layers of value, right? One is we're going to create this great content because it's conversation based as we've just been talking about, right? And also, you can bring on to the podcast as your guests, whoever you want to get to know and talk to, right? These can be potential referral partners, prospects, anyone who can help you grow your business potentially. It's just a really great mechanism for getting time with them because you're offering value and creating content with them and then promoting them, right? And I still think that that can be a very valuable model, and especially because it does have this core of conversation. The, the challenge with it, I believe, that I've come to believe, and this is kind of a, a, recent, a recent realization, is that it, 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 it presses on the, the lack of time that people have, right? When we offer this to clients, I feel like we're adding a lot of value, but we're also adding work on, to their plate, right? You have to, as you well know, Olivia, right? When you start a podcast, well, who's going to be the host? You, you are. Right. So when we start with the client, we're like, well, someone has to be the host from your company. That's kind of a problem now that they need to solve. Well, who's going to be the host? And even if they know who it's going to be, now that person now has that duty on their plate alongside everything else they're doing. Yeah. Right. Who are we going to bring on as guests? Well, that's a whole other thing. Right. And even if we're helping them with that, still, there's just a lot of vetting and who should the guests be and then the prep calls and all these things. That's just what you have to do in order to run a podcast and get the the output, you know, get that valuable content. But the cha- again, the challenge with it is that we're already dealing with people who don't have enough time to do the things they're already doing. Right. You know? So I asked myself, okay, how could we potentially deliver the same value or maybe even better value? while also removing all that friction while not adding time to your plate or adding much less time, right. minimizing okay. that time commitment. And kind of, here's what I came up with. Yeah. Right? I want to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, stay tuned, for part... stay tuned for part two. If yeah. you've reached <laughs> this part in the podcast, if you want to hear Jeremy's answer, you have to pay Olivia for the yeah. special content behind the paywall. Yeah, insert your coins here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just, just kidding. Okay, so here's what, and this is still kind of a concept in development. So I'd love to get your feedback on this. Yeah, right? sure. So my idea is, what if I flipped the whole concept around, and instead of we're going to help you start a podcast, you're going to be the host. We're going to make you the star of your own ongoing content series, not the host. The star. So it's kind of like being a guest on your own podcast, let's say. Okay. For anyone who's ever done that, I'm telling you, if you've never done it, it is much easier to be a guest on a podcast than it is to host one. Hey, let me quick insert. My yeah. first guest podcast appearance is why this podcast exists, because I got off of it and ran across the house and told my husband, we're starting a podcast. And it happened. <laughs> this was October of 2021. 
I think. And yeah. I was on a client's podcast and my podcast was the next month it was up and running. Yeah. There, so that's great. You got inspired to do it. And, you know, you have the wherewithal, right? Because you come, you're a marketer and you have a media production background, right? So you thought a podcast. Yeah. Okay. I, and you could, I'm, I'm assuming kind of see in your mind how it would come together and what you need to do, right? Like you have because a certain comfort level to, with that. Yeah. So I guess that is another part. We were already managing his podcast, meaning I was working yeah. with his podcast production company to get the the final videos from him and post them on social media, put them in email, yeah. write the captions for them, write the CTAs to, to you know, to watch the full episode. So I already could see what it took for a podcast to be produced yeah. and disseminated. So I did have that comfort level. Yes, because I was already doing it for him. So I knew I could do it for me. Right. So if you have no experience with it, it's a much, I think, a, a much grayer zone where you're like, we well, yeah, a podcast would be cool, but where do I even begin? How does that work? Like, I know I need a mic. What kind? Like how much, you know, right. there's a million questions anyway. And that's why, you know, podcasting agencies are out there to help with exactly that. Anyway, so to back to what I was saying, what if you didn't have to be the host? You could be the star. So flip the model on its head. We meaning let's say I, you know, I'm, I'm an expert interviewer, right? I have conducted probably thousands of interviews, some on podcasts, some for when I was a, a freelance journalist, you know, I have honed and perfected this skill over many, many years. And there are many other people out there like that too, who have this very specific skill of being really good at interviewing people on pretty much any topic and drawing them out to kind of get the kind of content that you're looking for, right? Again, it's unplanned, it's unscripted, but still there's a lot of planning that can go into uh, conducting a really good, strong interview. It's not right. just totally random, right? No. It's, it doesn't, the content doesn't happen by accident. It takes a certain skill set to make that happen, right? Which if you've never done it before, maybe you're just naturally talented at it, but chances are eh, you can, you might get better at it. But again, it's this thing you, you learn over time. So here's right. my idea. We work with you. We will interview you. you. You will have an expert interviewer interviewing you. So let's say that you want to have, you know, every month you want to have a fresh stream of content, right? Weekly, fresh content. You want to have a weekly video to post. Okay. Uh, you want to, be posting on LinkedIn at least once a week, if not ideally more, right? Um, and you want, uh, you know, at least one or two blog posts a month. And you want to be able to publish these on a schedule regularly so you get the most content ROI. If, as we've just been saying, the easiest thing to do in the world is to have a conversation with somebody, right? We do it all day, every day. We're good at it as human beings. That's something that you don't need to have a super special skill for. You just need to have some expertise. And if you're up and running as a business, you you definitely have that. Or if you don't, then your business will not last, right? But right. assuming that you do, the only thing that's missing really is someone to sit down with you once a month and say, okay, what topics do you want to opine on and kind of demonstrate your expertise on? Let's pick four of those topics. And we're going we're gonna to do basically all in one chunk. We're going to do four 15-minute interviews where I, the expert interviewer will sit down with you, interview. This will take, let's say, two hours just to you know give like more than enough time. We'll knock this out in a couple hours. 
And again, the, 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 the time on your part is two hours a month. That's it with almost no prep time, almost no prep time necessary. You put in those two hours, we have a good conversation. We take it from there. We're going to turn that those two hours worth of interviews into four podcast, podcast episodes, one per week. Well, actually, let me start at the top. I think there's a hierarchy to the content. Start okay. with video. Start with video because all the data shows that's at least for top of the funnel stuff for sure. You need that, right? That's what yeah. all the data points do. So you're going to get from every interview, you're going to get, let's say, and I'm just making this up, you're going to get two short promo clips, less than 60 seconds. That's top of the funnel stuff, right? And then you can turn each one of those into a LinkedIn post, right? Post that video on LinkedIn with, with a caption, with some copy. Okay, now you have at least four LinkedIn posts. Or we're doing two for each episode, so eight LinkedIn posts, right? Um, let's do a, for each of those 15-minute uh, interviews, which we're recording, recording an audio and video, let's create a three to five-minute video that kind of summarizes it. It summarizes it down from 15 to three, let's say, for people who just want the gist and like watching videos. And then for people who want the, like they hear the little clip and they're like, oh, that's an interesting thing. Is there more of that? Is there? Well, yes, there is. In fact, here's a link to the 15 minute podcast episode, just audio, right? Because I don't think people are going to watch a 15 minute thing of two people talking, typically not, but you'll listen to it when you're in the car. Or walking, right? So for that segment of your audience, that's like, oh, I want to dive a bit deeper down into your funnel, right? They like the little clip. I, I want to hear more. Cool. We have a 15 minute interview. Go check it out. Okay. For each episode, uh, let's, let's turn two of these episodes every month into a blog post, right? And on and on. And, and you could, you could use the same material for a newsletter, Right. Yeah. So now this is just what I've described so far is just simply content repurposing. Right. Everyone knows that concept. Nothing yeah. revolutionary there. What is different, I think, is that it, it, it goes back to that problem of authenticity. Right. Yes, you are working with, say, a third party to do this, but it's your words, literally in your voice and your image. Yeah, so I that. it's a, it's a it's about as close as you can get, in my view, to doing it yourself without actually doing it yourself. And the written content, well, it takes a talented writer to do this. But again, as long as if you're working with the literal words of the of you know that we've recorded, and we're just reshaping those into a post, we're still using your words, yeah. right? We're not just getting the gist; it's literally your words. That's as close as you're going to come, I think, in written form to, again, as close as you can come to doing it yourself without actually doing it yourself. And then, yeah. again, from, from a two-hour time investment per month, you have as much content as you need for an entire month. And you just repeat that process. And then you, that's it. That's, that's what's in, that's my concept. I think that's awesome. There are a lot of reasons that I like that concept. One, because to get the business owner in the door, you've made it so psychologically they're not the, the one holding everything together. You're holding it all together and you're just featuring them. Like you said, the star. You make them the yeah. star. Then the second thing is that you've, you've given that business owner exactly what their responsibility is in 
in their involvement, which is a question we get a lot as a marketing agency. Well, how much do I have to do each month? How much? And and for the the business owner, I call them like your your. There's like if you're looking at types of clients, right? Essential. They want your service, but they want to pay the least amount for it, and you know because they are yeah. more worried about their budget than their time. Then there's the ideal, which I say their time is more valuable than than their money, so they would rather help get. They would pay someone to help them to save them time. So in that respect, you're saying okay. And those those folks, they really want to be clear on how much time is this going to take me. Yeah. And you're saying give me two hours, and I will give you a month's worth of content. Bam, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Third is that it's going to be as close to doing it as yourself as humanly possible, which is really nice. I have made my living off working with people who don't want to do anything at all. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, I don't uh, necessarily have that luxury, but I think that this is a great model to get people who are willing to put in that two hour commitment to have the most personalized marketing that they could possibly have. Um, you know, at that level of engagement. So, I mean, I think it's fascinating. I think it's brilliant. I, um, you know, I'm blown away. It's definitely not a way that I've looked at it before. And I don't think that there are many podcasting agencies promoting their service that way. Yeah. Well, it just kind of, you know, it struck me. I'm like, for any, any business to succeed, you have to have product market fit, right? And what does that actually mean? It simply means, as I've always understood it, that you need to be offering something that people need. Not, not that they just kind of want or think would be cool to have. In other words, it can't be a nice to have. It needs to be a need to have, a must have, right? So I asked myself, do, is, pod, is a podcast a must-have? Just in, in isolation, a, a podcast, like a weekly no. podcast. No. Where there, is it a, is it a need to have? No, it's it's not. It's just not. There's no getting around that. It's, it's a nice-to-have. And, you know, it took me a while to truly hear what people were telling me because, you know, I'm talking to people all the time and we're talking about podcasting. And often I would hear things like, you know, oh, yeah, that's definitely on our radar that might be like a Q4 thing for us, you know, we're sort of when we have the time to get into it. I hear that and all the time. <laughs> what I was hearing was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. They want to do it. It's just the timing has to be right. What I wasn't hearing, and I think what they were actually telling me was, yeah, this would be cool to do, but we have 800 other things that are way more important than that that we have to do. It's not a choice. Right. You know what I mean? And so... If we ever do this, cool, we'll keep you in mind. Emphasis on if. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that's not great. If I'm offering a thing that it's an, a, a nice to have, but not a need to have, that makes it just a lot harder to you know, make money and get yeah. new clients. So I thought, well, what is it that we're doing that businesses actually need and just can't get around? I thought, you know what? It's the content. Yeah. The podcasting is just a means to the end, right? It's content. That's why I started unless, <laughs> uh, Right? Un unless you're a purely local business, like a local, I don't know, like barbershop or something, and, you know, it's all word of mouth or something. Although even then, you probably have a website, right? But in any case, unless you're that and you depend, and, and you depend on people finding you online, 
at least a big percentage of them, well, then you there's no way to get around the need for stuff online that we call content, yeah. right? And the better it is, the better chance, you know, that's content marketing. That's how the whole, why the whole thing exists in the first place. So I'm like, okay, that's a need. And there's a problem with that. And that, again, as we've been talking about, a lot of businesses, they know they need it. They just don't have the time or resources to do it themselves or they're doing it, but they're struggling with the return on the investment and measuring the success and all that stuff, you know, or, or distributing it. Yeah. We're creating it and we're publishing it, but no one's watching. Okay, you know? so, and, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> I got really excited there. <laughs> no, go go ahead, go ahead. Well, okay, so I don't think you know this. Probably um, people who have followed me for a while know this. We started out as a content creation agency. I actually, my business was first called Lexicon Content Development. Mm-hmm. We were just, um, and this was 2018, um, just blogs, emails, social media captions, and graphics. Maybe some infographics, maybe some lead magnets. But it was when I started out because I'm a writer, that was what I did. I started, I evolved from freelance writing blogs to freelance writing emails to freelance writing social media mm-hmm. to going, hey, my financial advisor's like, what do I do with this now? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, right. let me tell you what to do. And they're like, I don't have time. I'm like, okay, so we'll pay me to do it. And then it evolved into a content marketing agency. And then I was like, okay, well, my clients want X, Y, Z more results. So then we evolved into digital marketing so that we could cover all of the bases for the financial advisors. So it's really interesting that you sort of went through a similar evolution from, you know, nice to have, need to have. They know they need content. They know they need stuff online, but they don't have the time or resources to do it themselves. Fast forward to 2023, AI, okay, people can just produce shit at exponential rate. What is going to make difference? You and your service, your, you particularly, Jeremy, (laughs) your service puts them front and center, which is what all of us are trying to do with our clients as agencies, I believe, if we actually have our clients' best interest at heart, is to put them in the front and center because we know that's what works. Yeah, or just on some really gut level, right? You're like, if if, if the whole point is to get this content in front of your audience, right, and have them actually pay attention to it and spark something in them to just nudge them a little further down your way, you know, with the ultimate goal, of course, of having them buy your thing, whatever you're selling, then again, there's no one way to do this, which is part of what makes this it's content marketing so fun and interesting, but also so frustrating and challenging, right? You're like, how do we, you even know if you're doing it right? Yeah. Well, there are metrics, but are which metrics and are they, what are the, yeah. some are vanity metrics and all that stuff. All I know, again, like for me, it all comes back to I feel like I'm at my best when I'm having a conversation and that's where my best ideas come from. And, and it also helps me in that it's really a good exercise to have to say out loud and explain to somebody else what it is you think and believe. That's how you learn. You know, that's how you develop your own thinking too. So I think it has that benefit. And, and by the way, I'll just add that in the model that I'm laying out there, 
you can also invite other people on into these recording sessions. So you don't have, I could, I could kind of imagine one objection being like, well, I don't always want to be the focus of every piece of content. Okay, cool. You don't have to be, it could be someone else in, at your company, or you could bring on third parties. Again, people you want to get to know as you like, right? On your schedule, you just don't have to. Yeah. Right? You'll get the content no matter what, but as you want to, you can bring people on. So you still get that benefit too. It, but in any case, again, it just comes down to, it keeps on coming back to me to this, this thing we call conversation, right? Which is when you think about it, is the most elemental and fundamental and most ancient form of communication that we have, right? It's the, the as, as, there's this whole long fascinating history of communication technology, right? That starts with human beings just into whatever proto-language we once spoke, you know, communicating with each other face-to-face. And it goes from there and like smoke signals and telegraph and jump right to the present day, like the internet, chat GPT, oh my God. But still, there's kind of an irony to me that no matter how sophisticated our technology gets, still, if you really want to get to know someone, it all comes down to talking with them one-on-one or the next best thing, hearing them in their own voice, having a conversation with somebody else. Like that still is the single most effective way to really get into someone like, who are they? What do they think? What's their personality? What's their vibe? What's their juice? You know, what do they bring? What would it be like to work with this person? I don't think there's any better way than that. Yeah, I think that's all. Honestly, that's for me, that's what it comes down to, because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't do my best work in a conversation. I do my best work writing. And I think it's because I can see and edit myself. I can, you know, see what's coming out of my mouth (laughs) or my brain. I can process it. I can go back and change it, but there's, you can't replicate the benefits of having a face-to-face conversation. So even though I feel more confident when I'm writing this mojo that I have, who I am, if that doesn't come through the same way, when you're reading what I've written as it does when you're, especially if you're someone who's considering working with me or, you know, these things that we are offering are not, you know, we're not selling overnight face creams. These are investments in your business yeah. and they aren't low ticket items. So when you're looking at, okay, I'm going to invest my money in this person. I really want to know what they're about. And I think that that convert this conversational based video podcasting or whatever, um, video, whatever you do, you know, it, it's just, <laughs> you can't replicate it. So. Yeah. I, 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 I hear you. And I mean, again, I think you're, you know, making another good point in that speaking and writing are very different things, right? right. The, the, and I think, and if you, again, if you just look at like human history, we were talking long before we were writing like Absolutely. millions of, year, of years before, Right. Writing is a, a system that we invented. Talking, we didn't invent. That's just hardwired in, into us, right? And like, like all animals have a way of communicating, right? They, all animals have some form of language. Sometimes it's very primitive. We have a very sophisticated uh, language ability, but it's not just that. Like, so do whales, you know, so do like dolphins. But I think what one thing that distinguishes human beings is that we are by far 
the most adapted, sophisticated at in, in, in the sophistication of our communication. We can do things with language that no other animals can, right? Even just the symbols we use, the alphabet, right? Like that is unique. And in any case, um, I think if your goal is to kind of let people in to know you, like your personality and your vibe, you, you need to do it in different ways, right? Because it needs to be multimedia because that's how people consume content in all these different forms. So you do need, I think, video, audio, and the written part, right? Right. I just think, again, there's a hierarchy and it depends where in the funnel you are. But I think, generally speaking, the most immediate way to kind of get someone's the sense of who they are is through hearing and or seeing them. Yeah. And, 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 and I think writing is a little bit secondary and just that it's harder. I think it's a lot harder to convey the core of your personality in something you're writing, especially if it's not like your personal thoughts on something. Right. Than it is when you're speaking, because when you're speaking, it just naturally comes out. Absolutely. You know? I think it's just much harder to, in a written piece, to make it very distinctive because it's just hard. You know, I'm a writer too, like a trained writer. Yeah. And it takes years and decades to get really good at writing. Yeah. And, you know, it's just hard and it's a, it's a very valuable skill. Um, so I, it needs to be part of the mix. I guess I'll just say that I think. A conversation can, if you have a conversation and then you capture it and transcribe it, that can make your writing a little bit easier, right? You're not starting yeah. from scratch. You have, you're privy now to the text of the conversation and at least you can start there and then yeah, use that I, as a jumping off point. Yeah, I'm a huge champion of that. I mean, even I've used AI tools to help me take my podcast recordings and help me get started on the caption. So I don't have to go back yep. and watch the whole thing over again or develop, sit there and manually put the timestamps in on what's happening. Of course, I'm going to take the output and fix it the way that I like it because I don't use terms like take your business to new heights or unleash the power of like that's I feel like chat GPT's core language and anything that I get from it but uh you know it, I mean the tools can be helpful and um I mean I use them as in insofar as that goes but especially for people who are creating their own content to use the tools to help them get started rather than staring at a yeah. book it can be immensely helpful just confidence wise like okay I have something to work with now you know and like you said, it's their their words, their conversation. So you can actually have someone else help you with it if you're using a transcription, you know, to help I, you. I think it at least helps. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, Jeremy, if you had one piece of advice to leave our audience with as they either embark on creating their own content for their business or consider outsourcing it in whatever capacity. Um, what, what would you, what tips would you give the financial advisors in our network? Yeah. Well, I think to me, like I, you know, I'm starting to sound like a, a broken record to use an outdated reference. It's still a good reference, right? A broken record. Like we yeah. all know what that means, yeah. except if you're young enough, you might not even know what a record is. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But anyway. I'm going to have to ask my daughter. I always ask her. She's 17. She is. Right. Although vinyls kind of become cool again. So maybe people do know. I don't know. Anyway, to answer, to actually answer your question, um, you know, to me, I think it would be consider 
the the utility and power of conversation as a place to start. You know, think about it. It's something like if you're a financial advisor, I'm assuming not being one, but you're having conversations every single day, all day with your colleagues, with your customers, and so on. And you're you're doing and, and that's content, right? The 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 those conversations themselves are a type of content. And if you can capture that in some systematic way and turn it into the kind of content that you can distribute through other channels, I think you're moving in the right direction. I think, again, just kind of based on this discussion that we've just had, that's one of the most efficient and effective and frankly fun ways to get the most authentic kind of content that you can get with, with, without killing yourself to do it and kind of struggling through, oh, God damn, I have to write another blog post. I hate this. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And you know what, guys, financial advisors, Jeremy just gave me an idea. Okay. You all have to write recaps of every client meeting. You have to do it for mm. compliance purposes. So if you're just sitting there and you're thinking, oh, woe is me. What should I talk about today? What should my podcast be about? What should my blog or my social media post be about? Go to your damn notes. See what people were asking you, talking to you about. Pick, I mean, there's a million subjects. You've got estate planning, investing, tax and drag management, uh, college funding. I mean, business succession planning. There's about a million things that you help your clients with. Go to your notes. Find a question that they ask you. Start there. And you can probably build an entire navigation system out from one question in one conversation that could fulfill multiple content needs. So you guys are already writing these things down. You're already having the conversations. Leverage them in a way that can help you and help your business. And I'll tell you what else. When you do it that way and you base it on your conversations that you're having with other people, it's going to be just about as darn authentic as it can get. And it's going to speak to those clients who are like the clients you're having the conversations with, which guess what is going to be those same pain points and those same challenges that you are trying to tap into in your top of funnel marketing. So just take it, turn it into a video, turn it into a podcast topic, turn it into a blog post. You have a million different resources out there. Um, and another thing but to note before we go, if you are considering starting a podcast, you guys know I'm a major proponent of this, but I do not recommend doing it on your own ever. Um, I do recommend having at least a podcast agency help you get it set up. And if you feel comfortable at some point, you know, letting them let go of your hand and you feel like you can do it on your own, you know, whatever, be my guest. But I do not recommend setting this up on your own. I do recommend getting help. There are lots of tiny little moving pieces and it just really helps to have a partner to, you know, A, fast track you to, okay, get this, do this, you know, let's get on the move. We, like Jeremy said, we don't have a lot of time to be wasting here. So go to the expert, get it done and, um, you know, see your marketing as chat GPT soar, says soar to new heights. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Yeah. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. This has been really great. I really um, love the conversation based marketing approach that you're taking. Very human, very real. 
Um, why don't you go ahead and tell our audience how they can find you and we'll include all that information as well in the show notes, of course. Yeah, sure. Well, I spend uh, far too much time on LinkedIn, so you'll definitely find me there and I, you know, I'll, I'll respond to messages. So LinkedIn, check me out there. Uh, the website is conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N, two N's, Versa. Um, and let's see, that, that that's probably the best way. And you can email me if you want to. It's just jeremy at conversa.com. Always checking my email. So three ways for you to connect with me. Perfect. Thank you, Jeremy, again, for joining us. And I cannot wait to share this with our audience. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper. To learn more about Olivia and how her firm, Lexicon Content Development, can help you, visit lexicon.contentdevelopment.com. If you want to reach out to Olivia on LinkedIn, you can find her at Olivia Looper Lexicon. And if you'd like to follow Olivia on Instagram, you can find her at Lexicon Content Development. Till next time.